News Talk On Demand. Interruption-free audio, where you want it, when you want it. Good morning and welcome to Garden Talk. Uh, I'm Rick Van Damendijk. And Jill, my daughter, has joined us here as well, uh, like usual. And thank you, Jill, for being around here for the last, um, I guess, almost six weeks. Yeah, it's been fun. It was so nice having Jay back too in the studio and being able to chat with him about gardening again. It's we used to do that back in the day, and it was nice to have him back again. So, so I, I was in a little bit of a holiday and uh, um, gone with some friends to near the area of Haltuco, Mexico, and so that was a it was a fun, restful time. And uh, and it is um, I've never been uh, that far south before, and uh, it was it was interesting. It was interesting to see uh, when it was a consistent 30 to 32 degrees with the trees with no leaves on them. So it's like wintertime there. It's like, you know, like here, a lot of the trees, there were some trees that had leaves on, and uh, but uh, very arid. And I think that's one of the reasons why the trees there don't have leaves on is because it's like it's wintertime like here, but except for some 32 degrees. But the trees, uh, basically, there's not much rain. It's very arid around there. There's even cactuses growing in the hills and that. And uh, But the trees go into protective mode, basically. And because with no moisture, they basically just go into dormancy. And and when we were there, the, the, the trees were just starting to get the ones that come out and bloom early, just like some of the early blooming shrubs and that we have here. They were all coming into this bright yellow flower. You could see them in the hills. Uh, just no leaves, just all flowers. And then all the trees are just starting to bud a bit. And uh, but the flowers that were blooming, bougainvillea. I mean, it's a, that's a drought tolerant plant, but it was blooming in a lot of places. And uh, and the bright flowers and everything else. And um, the, there's only one thing I didn't like about the bougainvillea, Joe. What was that? Is that you know um, when I was in the pool, I had to clean the leaves, the flowers out of the pool constantly. <laughs> they drop a lot of flowers. I think I remember you sending that text <laughs> in to us one so, time. Well, it I, gave me something to do though. You we know? had a great time while while you were away here on the show, yeah. and we talked about lots of different things. And one of the things that we asked our callers, remember this is a call-in show, yeah. so people can join us at one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. Join us on the call or the text. And one of the things we uh, people had called about is what kind of tips and tricks have they learned from Rick and Garden Talk over the years and we got a lot of different things so um, people called in and or and they said how much they've just learned the basics of gardening by listening to the show and it's one of the things is is lots of people have the same questions and the same problems in their yard so listening to a show like this they can sort of relate to a lot of different things um the alfalfa pallets was a huge hit rick so okay, dad. and uh so lots of people didn't uh didn't know about alfalfa pallets and how many micronutrients are in them yeah. and by making a tea with the alfalfa pellets how that's such a great way of fertilizing um i had one gentleman who said you know what i've never i've been gardening for years and i've never had such a good um, yield on my vegetable garden because I use the alfalfa pellets. So that was neat. Um, the other one was groundskeeper. Um, a lot of people don't know about that groundskeeper product, um, which is a lawn fertilizer. Yep. Um, and it is made right here in Saskatoon. Just outside of Saskatoon. And they also, this year, they're going to be releasing some grass seed, uh, different, two different types of grass seed out there. It's called groundskeeper grass seed as well. And uh, they also have the the melts all uh, um, melts for for you'll see it in the stores all over the place and for melting the you know the ice off of your driveway. But it's more environmentally friendly for your lawns and also for your for your um, for your plants as well. Um, now, what's the difference between 
groundskeeper um, lawn fertilizer and regular lawn fertilizer, there's a number that's added to the bag. Yeah, it's amazing because groundskeeper only has, like you notice the first number in, in the one the one that's most popular is only 16. So he says, well, all my fertilizer I usually put in has a, like a 30, 28 or 32 or 34, lots of nitrogen to get the lawn green. But what the groundskeeper has done is they, for especially made for Saskatchewan, is that they, it also has a lot of other micronutrients in the, in the fertilizer as well. But also sulfur is a big one, because a, a lot of um, a lot of not not all of Saskatchewan, but a lot of Saskatchewan, our soil is more alkaline, and so the sulfur lowers the pH so the plants can take up nutrients. Because otherwise, if the pH is too high. It locks up the nutrients and the plant can't get it. So you can put all the nutrients you want, but eventually they get locked up and the plant can't take it. So this lowers it down. Plus it has iron in it to get your lawn greener. So plus all the little micronutrients. A lot of fertilizers just have filler in them, right? This has uh, their are other products in there. A lot of micronutrients, and I, I talk about that. The same thing with alfalfa pellets. It's, a plants just just like us. We if you just put you know your your couple of main uh, vitamins that you take, your body can't get it. But a lot of our food we eat has a lot of all the other um, uh, micronutrients in it. You know, like magnesium and and zinc and all the iron and all those other things. Or even things. just getting outside and having vitamin yeah. D from the sun. Yeah. And you got to remember in our gardens and in our lawn and uh, you know. We in the in the fall in the spring we rake up all the leaves we clean up our yards we we bag our grass we do everything so in the in na- nature like if you go out to a let's say a bluff out in the country you'll see there's just a big mat of these moldy you know br- breaking down decomposing twigs and leaves and everything else and that's adding all the micronutrients yeah. so uh, we just have to add that because we take it all away. Um, so one of the things that. Uh that people have been asking about as well is for lawns. Um, so with your lawns, uh, is with the snow that's coming on and people are salting, is it bad for our lawns having this salt on the ground or is there enough snow that it's going to dilute it? Which I'm finding that's probably the case. Um, what should people be doing? Well, if you just grab the cheap, the, everybody, if you just grab over and go to the store and grab the cheapest uh, salt out there, it's called rock salt. And it's usually in that yellow and black bag. And, uh, that one there will, yeah, that one will, you'll find at the edge of your grass. Um, you'll, you'll find that your grass will be dead along the edge or especially if you have perennial bed or some, or even place where you're going to plant a lot of annuals, you'll find you'll, you'll have a lot of death. We see that lots in commercial properties where they really pound the salt, the salt to the, to the sidewalks because you don't want to even have a slip and fall. And, um, usually you have to replace the grass or, or replace the shrubs. And it's hard to get them to reestablish there unless you leach the soil out. So just make sure that if you got all these piles of snow that you've been shoveling off your sidewalk because you're bringing it on to, onto your driveway, even with your, your wheels of your car and, and melting off of and falling off of your wheel wells, is this that in the spring? Just make sure you spread that snow out as it melts so that you don't get a concentration of salt all in one spot. And especially right at the edge, if you can get the water to the to, to the edge and and, and um, dilute it as well, that's a big time. And even using things like gypsum and those kind of things along the edge, that'll help 
put uh, more air pores into the soil and and also put some sulfur and those kind of things to help neutralize all those kinds of but, but the biggest thing is just spreading it out and diluting it and using the more it's a few more dollars but you just use the more environmentally friendly it talks about right on the bags and there's a bunch of different brands out there the scots makes them um, gra- um uh, groundskeeper makes them uh, I don't think it's called groundskeeper it's called melt melts all and um, and so you just look on the bag it'll say what's more environmentally friendly that's awesome so remember join us one 332 8255 join us on the call and the text we actually did have a caller on the line and they, we, we must have lost them so if we want to call back feel free to call back I did quick catch the topic of that question though it was about a citrus plant that they had started from seed and they were having trouble getting it to um, getting it to sort of produce fruit so maybe after the break we'll talk a little bit about that because I know lots of people don't understand citrus plants and the environment especially in the indoors. So spring is coming. Come join us again. one 332 8255 on the call or the text. I'm Rick Van Dominic and Jill Van Dominic. You're listening to Garden Talk on 630 CGM and 980 CJME. Good morning, Saskatchewan, and welcome to Garden Talk. I'm Rick Van Dominic, along with me and my daughter, Jill Van Dominic. And uh, we'd like you to give us a call at one 332 255. Now you can do that by either calling or you can text the same number. This is a call in show. We would, Jill and I would love to hear from you and, and answer your questions. And this said, if either call or text in the same number, 1-877-332-8255. Jill, we do have one text here from Karen from Swift Current. Uh, she says, I also had great success with alfalfa tea. Thanks. My question uh, fertilizer question. Uh, what fertilizer would you recommend for seedlings? I have been growing for about six weeks. I have fertilized with the plant starter, but I think they need something a little bit more now. So on a fertilizer, uh, you can, there again, uh, if you've used it to alfalfa pellet tea, that works perfectly. Uh, remember what you want to do is you, uh, with especially fertilizer, uh, when you're starting seedlings. So a lot of people have a thing like 202020 around their house. If you use 202020, that second number is, which is phosphorus, okay? If you use a 202020, you're going to notice that that phosphorus is going to give them a shot of phosphorus. And a lot of people think, well, that, isn't that good? Shouldn't I use like 105210 even or 153015? Uh, cause you have those around the house for your other plants. And I said, no, yeah, that's, yeah, it helps getting the root system going. But also that phosphorus, what it does is it makes the plants bolt. So it'll make them stretch. So in the greenhouse industry, we'll give them a shot of that. Maybe we'll give them a shot of that, that phosphorus at the very beginning. One application. One really. application, right? And then after that, we, we basically try to go down to a, a zero or a two or a maximum eight of the second number. Okay. So it's very important. So just using alfalfa pellet tea, that's, that's ample for those little seedlings. And there also is some new organic fertilizers. I'm trying to remember the numbers on them, but the numbers on organic fertilizers are way yeah, different. It's like a than two, three, six or things like that. Different you know? than other ones, but there's a yeah. great tea starting one that we have and it has lots of micronutrients. It's made by Evolve, which again is another yep. local company. Yep. And uh, so that's that's a great product as well too. But remember with your seedlings, you want to have one to two sets of leaves before you start fertilizing. So be watching those leaf starts too. Don't fertilize too early. Give them a shot of that phosphorus right off the bat and then go back to a regular seed starting. Okay, I got a couple other questions here. It says, good morning. Um, uh, I'm looking for a fairly new, pati- patun- a new petunia crossed with a... Calabrocha, uh, understand their low maintenance. Uh, 
Do you know if you got those, Jill? Yes, we do. Caltunia is what they're called, and we we carry started carrying them last year, and they're they're very neat. They're like a petunia um, and a calabrachoa mixed together. So a million bells is what the proven winner variety of a calabrachoa is, um, and so they are a plant that is bred for vigor. It's got a smaller flower. It's a little bit more compact. Your nodes are tighter together, and you'll get a little bit more flowers than a petunia. They are self deadheading as well too. So caltunias will be coming into the garden center. There's only only a few colors, but you will be seeing those in the garden center so, in the spring. So because they're new the last year, you wouldn't see them quite as much. But this year, I think you're going to see them in garden in greenhouses right across the sky. Yeah, and I think you'll start seeing more colors as um, more growers are growing them. Yeah. Um, but uh, always you'll just sort of start out with the basic colors. Okay, so for people that don't know what it is, where would you plant where would you put them? What kind? What would you well, plant th- them in? In the ground or in the pot or where? Sun shade. I think these are container gardening plants, so they're okay. a hybrid plant um, bred for a container. Um, if you do put them on the edge of a planter, you would put them somewhere where they can maybe drape over the side of a of a walkway or something like that. They go in the sun to part shade. Um, Calabrachoa can actually handle a little bit more of an east location. It doesn't need as much of that intense sun that um, that petunias do. So that's a great thing as well. Um, the other thing, I if you if you have your container and you have your thriller, filler, and spiller, I would say that it would probably land in that filler and spiller um, location in your container. So, okay, we have uh, Lauren from uh, Leroy. Just get my mouse to work here. There we go. Here we go. Good morning, Lauren. How are you today? I'm just fine, Rick. Thank you very much. I've got a couple of globe cedars that are overgrown that I have to take out. Yes. And I'm on the farm, and I wanted to make um, um, a shelter belt from uh, cedars. Can I break that root bulb uh, up into several pieces and transplant that thing, or or do I have to start from scratch? Yeah, start from scratch. Yeah, you, oh, okay. you, you can you can move that one. Like if you have a tractor and you can actually you know get a good ball of earth with it, yeah. you can move that one. But uh, but otherwise, splitting the root, yeah, that that won't work. You'll have to. Uh, uh, most of the cedars are started by 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 cuttings. Okay. okay, and uh, but the, uh, the what'll happen is that where where the branches come down to the main trunk, when they split off, they won't co- take a root with it. So oh, you won't have okay. a root with it. You'll just you'll just break off a piece of branch. Right. So right. Okay. Um, yeah. So you're not going to be able to actually split them up and chop them up, and uh, so yeah, right. you'll have to start from scratch. Now, one thing I better remember about cedars is that make sure what I suggested you want a cedar of hedges out in the farm. Yeah. The one cedar you want to use is called a Warriana or a Siberian cedar. Okay. Okay. If you try the Brandons or the Homestops, the more pyramidal cedars. You can yeah. have you'll they won't have as good a success just because okay. the reflection of the snow they tend to just have more problems, right? And also, uh, but the Warriana cedars uh, use them lots for on 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 acreages and that uh, they are more global in shape rather so yeah. they cover more space as well. Uh, they almost like a teardrop, wider in the bottom than narrow at the top, and they're mm-hmm. rougher, tougher bark. And so uh, I have them all the way around the garden center, and I. They, I don't even water them anymore. They take care of themselves. And um, just, just make sure you watch, especially on the farm, watch your pH. You want your pH around 7, and you'll have way better success. If it's more alkaline, you'll have more trouble. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Thank you very much. That's You're, very helpful. You're welcome. Thanks for the call, Lauren. Remember, you can join us on the call or the text, one 332 8255 also, we have here, uh, we have Jill, uh, hi, Rick and Jill. 
I have a, a golden new drop, a few few drop, which is cons- constantly has bugs attacking it. What can I do aside from Endol three times a week, Kelly and Elbow? I have a golden few drop. A few drop. Um, we're not quite getting the, the plant. So, but one thing with aphids, if it's yep. on an indoor plant and you have some aphids on there, if uh, you can use Endol, use it ten days, spray good till dripping. Um, if that's not working, I'll actually take the plants and I'll take them to the sink or the shower and rinse them right off. Um, that will definitely help too. And just getting some of that those those plants off will de- those bugs off will definitely help. And then spray it again. Wait ten days, and you might need three applications to do it. And with ten days in between, but um, the end all I find works the best because it has the canola oil and the pyrethrin in it, yeah. um, rather than just a insecticidal soap which just has the soap in it. So another one here. I have a three-year-old amaryllis plant. Replant each summer, and then re-blo- and then the rebloom in the summer. Pull it in late September, repot in November. Uh, no, I have no, I have no new growth from the tubers uh, that have have a concern on their own. What do I do now? So it's David from Edom. Well, that's awesome that you've had success for so many years on them. It's really important to give them a nice dormant stage. So you might need to extend that dormancy period for them because they've been, you've had them blooming twice a year yeah. almost. So you need that energy to go back into that bulb. So may, you might want to put it, take it out of the, the soil, put it into cold storage for maybe about um, 10 to 12 weeks. Um, let it go dormant for quite a while and then pot it up, give it some fertilizer and let it go again. Yeah, especially fertilizer because you need to build up that energy in there. Just using, a, the, like I said, the alfalfa pellet tea or those kind of things yeah. it'll help build up the energy as well well paul you know, stay on the line we're going to catch you after the break after here the break we're going to go to news right now and uh so you can join us there so we got just some other uh we have a few people on on the text line as well we're going to answer after the call and also we have paul on the line as well so i'm rick van dominic and jill van dominic you listen to garden talk on 660 cqm and 980 cjme Good morning, Saskatchewan. Welcome to Garden Talk. I'm Rick Van Davendijk, and my daughter, Jill, is joining us here as well. And uh, we're going to go right to the calls, Jill, and we have Paul waiting on the line. Thank you for waiting, Paul. Your question. Hey, Rick. Welcome back. Thank you. Um, I uh, planted um, asparagus when I did my when I started my peppers. Yep. And um, they're getting to where they're going to start putting leaves out. Yep. Um, now, I, I did them in a six-cell, you know, the the six-cell thing. Yep. And I have several asparagus plants per cell. Okay, yep, I understand. When I transplant them... Transplant I, the whole cell. The whole cell. Don't, don't break them up. Asparagus don't like to be the roots being disturbed when they're that young. Now, okay. when, when they're little, little, you can thin them out, but I would just pull some of them... Out, just kind of like if you're thinning a vegetable or thinning carrots, mm-hmm. um, you can thin them out that way so that you get a, a stronger root system. Did you spread the seeds out in the cell itself, or do they just all clumped right together? Well, they're they're not all clumped right together. You know, some are spaced out a little yep. bit. But um, I, I'm going to be transplanting them fairly soon. Uh, when they go into the garden, do I do I also can I also just put that clump in there? No, put the whole thing together. Yeah, it, all in the in the ground, and then after one year, 
then you can pull them up and then and then take take them apart and then transplant them again. And they'll be quite intertwined. Sometimes taking a little fork or something to separate the roots, you can yeah. definitely do that. But wait till a year. You want them to be quite developed before you separate them, and then you want to plant them 18 inches apart. Oh, so they want the room, eh? Yes. Yeah. But oh. but they're just a little bit finicky about being ripped apart when they're just young, that young, when they're seedlings. Yeah, and then with harvesting them, make sure that you don't start harvesting your asparagus until that you start to see that they're about the size of your pinky finger in width around. Leave them alone, just let them do their thing, and then that's, that's when you'll start harvesting them. That's usually the first year you don't, you don't harvest, and the second year you start harvesting. Okay, so like this is for my son. Yep. I have a patch that I've been growing for like 10 years now. Yes. And I did it this way. Um, the way I was telling you, like I just planted the whole clump. Yep. Um, do I just leave it now? Yeah. You can leave it. You can also lift them up and you can, uh, if they're getting quite uh, root bound or your patch is getting very full, you can separate them as well too. Um, oh. Just remember as you separate them, just be gentle with the roots. They don't like their roots being disturbed or else it will set them back a little and bit. And one thing to remember is that a lot of times when you go, when you plant plants from seed, if you gathered your own seed, I mean, if you got it out of a package, they're going to be true to name, but if you grabbed it out of the ground, they the might not be exactly the same variety as you had because they've been cross-pollinated, right? Yeah. But when you take them out of the ground and you split them, then they're genetically they're all the same. Okay, yeah, these are from seed. So. Yeah, okay. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks for the call. Thanks, call. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for the call. You remember, you can join um, Rick and I on... 650 here at one 332 8255 both on the call and the text. We do have some text messages here, Rex. Yep, so. We're going we're gonna to get to some here now. I got here, um, we have uh, Shelly from Blucher. What is the best resource to learn how to propagate trees? Now, there are some, some books on propagating trees out. You can probably find them at your chapters or indigo on them. Otherwise, you can just use your search engine on your computer as well. And a, lo- a lot of different trees is put on there, propagating poplars or propagating, um, you know, poplars you can do from softwood cuttings, uh, things like um, um, other trees like lindens and, and ash and green ash go from seed, let's say, but all your other seedless varieties, they all go by, by, uh, by budding them or, or grafting them, basically. Uh, so there's uh, mountain ash go from seed so and from budding. So there's all different ways you can propagate them. So check the specific type of tree you want and then look up how to, how to basically propagate them. Uh, things like willows and poplars are really easy. Other trees are a little bit more difficult. Some go from seed, but a lot of them go from, in the industry, the, especially apple trees, they're all budded, uh, or grafted now. So you can't, you can't take your seed from an apple and plant it in the ground and get it to grow up. It won't be the same. It reverts back to the, the native, uh, rootstock. So what happens then is you just get a little tiny crab. You don't get your nice big apple that you had from the original plant. So. Yeah. And that's the thing that a lot of people don't know about when they, they pull a seed from a fruit that they get at the grocery store and they're like, why am I not getting the same thing? It's because yep. it might be grown off a grafted tree. Yep. So, so that's one there. Um, uh, we also have here now, um, Joe and Carlisle are fertilizer numbers calculated by volume or by weight. So well, fertilizers are, it's, it's basically the ratio between each one of them and it is calculated by weight. Yeah. So like in, when you're talking about, okay, if you, a lot of farmers ask me, how much do I fertilize? Cause I tell farmers just use for, especially they're, they're fertilizing their, their, their spruce tree wind, windbreaks and that. 
uh, use the same fertilizer you use for canola because it's a sulfur base and you're lowering the pH of the soil just like you would out for your canola so the plants can take it up. So I say basically big mature spruce trees can take up to 100 pounds of actual N per acre. So farmers, you'll know what that means. So it goes by weight, 100 pounds of N per acre. So they know how to calculate that, and then you can go from there. So Now, one of the neat things that I've heard you mention over time today is about the pH of the of the soil. Yep. Um, you can pick up a pH kit and be testing your pH, but that's one of the first things that I test my water with even when I'm uh, mixing my fertilizer up for my hanging baskets or my perennials at this time of year. We test the pH of the soil, of the water. So it's really important that you test your pH so that it can now, absorb when you're Testing your pH of your soil, very, very, very important. Don't use the water from your well or from your tap in your house or whatever. Get some distilled water because otherwise the water, the water that you use from either your well, your dugout or your, or from the tap in the city, it's going to distort your, 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 your calculations. So use distilled water, very important. So, uh, oh, that, uh, we had the one question about the dude golden dewdrop. It's gonna find it here. So I didn't know the the name of the dewdrop by that name, but I know it as Duranta. And Duranta is a tropical plant with that we usually see in the spring season, and we grow it as a patio tropical. So that was one of the things that we wanted to talk about a little bit on the show is patio tropical. Why do we use that name? And one of the reasons why we use them is because these are plants that are usually you purchase and they are blooming and they're very tropical. And you see them in the garden centers um, in the spring seasons, and um, and they are field grown outside, and you can. Enjoy them in your containers, but then you could bring them in out into your indoors afterwards. Um, with that one there, just like your hibiscus plant, they are a little bit more susceptible to aphids. Um, I know some people who are battling um, aphids, and what they'll actually do in the wintertime is they'll make that plant go dormant, and they'll take all of the leaves off of it. Um, there's a garden center, one of my friends, Will Heeman, um, from Heeman's Garden Center in Ontario. Um, he actually takes people's hibiscus plants and stores them over the wintertime for him, and the first thing that he does when he gets them is he defoliages them. So or, he takes, at least take all the flower buds and flowers yeah. off for sure. He takes all the foliage off the leaves, sprays them, and starts all from scratch again. So if you're having a really hard time battling those aphids, that is something you can do is take all those foliage off of them, give it a little bit of a trim, and get some new growth starting from scratch. Okay, Jill, there's another question here about, oh, she missed the name of the flower. They're talking about the petunia, the calabrocha. What would you call it? What'd you call the name of it? A caltunia. Caltunia. So Caltunia, so that that's for you. Um, and so also um, I got here another one here. Uh, that was from Bonnie. She was asking about the Caltunia. Good morning. I overwintered my cannas. Uh, this is Kathy. I overwintered my cannas. I just put them into pots to grow again for this summer. Should I fertilize them or when is the best time to do that? Well, what I usually do is I get my cannas going first. So they take wild, warm soil temperature to get them going. As soon as you start the leaves going on them, that's when you can start fertilizing. That means that they got some roots going in that soil and they're ready to take up some fertilizer. So wait till you get see a little bit of green, then start fertilizing. But to get them going, that warm soil temperature is going to help you the most. Okay, we have some other questions here. And also we have Ron uh, from Leadstock. We're going to get to him right after the break. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. I'm Rick Van Damendijk and Jill Van, Dijk, Van Damendijk. You're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CQM and 980 CJME. Good morning, Saskatchewan. You're listening to Garden Talk here on 650 CQM and 980 CJM. I'm Rick Van and Jill Van Damendijk. My daughter is joining me as well. We have on the call right now our Ron from Leadstock. Good morning, Ron. Thank you for holding. Hi. Just curious, is citrus trees like 
apple trees were to get the fruit you want to, it has to be grafted on, or can you just plant a seed and get the same citrus as you picked the seed out of? Yeah, well, citrus are self-pollinating, right? So, the, you, but you have to a lot of times in, to get them to put fruit in your house. You have to be the bee, so you have to go around from with a Q-tip and go from flower to flower unless there's enough air movement to to get it to do that, right? So, but otherwise they can they can do themselves because if they're self-pollinating from male and female, they'll produce the same fruit from the same tree. The biggest thing is that they're outdoors, then they can pollinate from different fruit trees, like let's say if this plant was in Florida, right? And then you might not, let's say you were growing a Myers lemon tree, let's say, you might not get a Myers lemon tree again, it might be a cross between something else. But if it's just on its own, by you have only one citrus plant, it can cross-pollinate itself, and then uh, then you can, but you have to be the bee, okay? And as far as your question, if um, you can harvest the seed from that citrus fruit, it all depends on that plant that it was grown from, if it was a grafted plant or if it was not. Um, so that would depend on that, that particular farm and what, how, yep. what type of tree that they had. So um, it's very dependent. Okay, thanks. Okay. Okay, we also have here some more text to take care of, Jill. Uh, here we have... Uh, we have Steve in Saskatoon. I planted a bunch of hybrid poplar trees and spruce trees at my lake property. Any tips to get them to grow fast? Hoping to have them for privacy and are pretty wide open right now. So biggest thing out there is, number one, check your, check your pH of your soil. Uh, get your pH down to about 7, okay, 6.5 to 7, uh, especially with the, with the evergreens. If you do that, if you can do that by adding sulfur or aluminum sulfate, if your pH is really high, if it's up around 7.4 or higher than that, 7.5, even some places might be up to 8, then you're going to have a hard time growing them. They will, they'll grow slow. And so just make sure you, uh, every spring, you make sure you get the fertilizer to them. If it's around the lake property, you can actually even use um, something like the alfalfa pellets around the thing. I'd use a tea because at the lake, if you just put the alfalfa pellets on the ground, the rabbit's going to come around and eat them all up. So, so, so make a tea and pour it around there. And also uh, make sure that you at least every once every three weeks, use something like a 30-10-10, mix with water, pour it around the trees. Uh, or you can use the groundskeeper as well, uh, the fertilizer, because it does have a sulfur base as well. You can use it for lawns, but you can use it for your trees as well. And that'll help. Uh, you can probably put that on uh, up to, with the groundskeeper, probably up to twice a, a year. Once I would do it in in May, and the other one I would do it about um, oh no, just do it once, do it once in May, uh, because you got to remember the evergreens are going to sh- shut down in August. So you don't need to keep fertilizing them then. So biggest thing is first two years you need water, and you need fertilizer, and you got to keep up on it, especially in those yeah. hot months to be successful. And sometimes it's tough because the lake you only get there in the weekends, right? So just making sure you might have to set up, you might have to set up a drip system and a timer as well. So that. That might help. Um, so here, Derek in Yorkton. Good morning. We had a deer basically trim our large tree pine trees down to like a lobstick tree. Oh, Oops. No. Oops. Bit worried about they won't come back. Anything I can do. Uh, if as long as they didn't get the, the tr- uh, eat off the bark off the main trunk, they'll come back. Okay. It'll take a bit of time. You're going to need to fertilize it. You know, right. You know, especially from, from May the 10th until, until basically July the 15th, July 1st, you need to fertilize every three weeks. Okay. And get those things growing again. As long as they didn't t- eat the bark off the main trunk, you can get them to come back. Okay. It's going to take a little bit more time, obviously, because they, they've done some damage. Uh, but otherwise you can get that to happen. 
Um, here's another one, Gary. Uh, when I when I buy a healthy, full hanging baskets, uh, they never get nicer. By midsummer, half the leaves are gone. It'll just look crappy. Okay, Jill, you can take care of this yes. one. Yes, so this is very common. So remember, there's only so much soil in that pot. And so what you have to do is you have to remember that by midsummer, that plant is basically growing hydroponically in that pot. There's not much nutrients in there. So sometimes I'll be fertilizing like crazy so that you can live, make it live off of water and fertilizer. So fertilizing sometimes twice a week and watering twice a day. The other thing that I will do with my hanging basket is I will transplant it into a bigger pot is really important. And the other thing I will do is I will trim it regularly throughout the summer season. That trimming is going to make it bushy and nice and full all summer long. But those are some tips for you. Fertilize often, trim it, and transplant into a bigger pot too. So there you go. Okay, I have another question here, Jill. Uh, I have a citrus growing together in a, I have citrus growing together in a very large pot for the last eight, seven to eight years with no luck for any blooms. They're just lovely trees. Um, they are just lovely trees with beautiful fragrant le- uh, le- with lots of leaves, but I, I can't get them to bloom or produce fruit. What part of our family I think will get for the winter babysitters while away? Um, but uh, so what can they do to get them to bloom? Well, fertilizing is really important. There's a citrus fertilizer that you can use. An acid-based fertilizer, which is important. Yeah, so you can use that. There's also a foliar fertilizer that we um, that we have too that you can spray on the on the foliage and that will help as well too. Um, the other thing is, is if it's been grown from a seed, sometimes it takes seven to 10 years for it to start producing fruit um, if it's grown from a seed. So it just is one of those time things. And remember, it's going dormant every winter. So it might even take longer than that and then remember if you don't if you don't got the seed from a grocery store or something like that maybe it was um a variety that uh was um sort of cross-pollinated or uh or the the big the biggest one i think is just watch especially if you're like let's say in saskatoon mm-hmm. uh or even regina because the water comes from deep baker lake a lot of it right and so the ph especially in in the winter time and in spring is up around 8.3 of the water itself and so you need to, there are citrus plants that you like as well as acidic, so you need to, you need to bring, you need to use a, a citrus fertilizer because it's made to help acidify the soil. It's very important. The other thing is remember, flowers bloom off new growth, so giving it a prune every once in a while is ah, really good. Perfect one, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Sharon from Melville, we planted spruces six years ago when they were beautiful. When planted, now they grow now they have grown quite a bit. They're sparse and gangly looking. Some branches are long. Some are staying the same size. Three of the trees, 14 feet and four, about six feet. What can I do? So trimming them. Give them a trim. Don't touch the leader. Just trim the sides and you'll be fine. Okay. So you can do that as well. Uh, another one here. I have a courageous crab tree and a planter on the north side of my house, about five years old, a planted in good soil, planted beside a Dakota birch. There's landscape fabric on the planter. Uh, is there a problem that they won't properly anchor? No, they'll be, I always have to tie it up. Uh, so otherwise, uh, it's windy, it's a fairly good wind to blow over. So the root system seems to be wanting to get down. Uh, so, so what you may want to do is just, if you can, just take that landscape fabric off for one season and get those roots to get down below the ground and they will, they'll, they'll grow down below the ground and give much good fertilizing too to get those roots to grow down. And water at the drip line so the roots are getting a little bit further yep. out as well too. So lots of things happening. Lots of things happening. Gardenscape, Gardenscape is coming. 
Yep. Coming up, uh, March 25th to 27th, um, Rick and I are both going to be talking on the how-to stage. We have a celebrity gardening event, which will have radio and TV personalities. We'll be teaching them how to garden and make things beautiful, and you, the audience, will be able to judge. That's always a fun highlight. Um, so many things from container gardening to growing tropicals to how to prune, lots of things and education things. So Gardenscape is back at the Prairie Land this yep. year. I'm so excited. Um, there's going to be some beautiful gardens. The tulips and the hyacinths are already starting to sort of be in their cold storage. We'll be taking them out we're soon. T- we're so. taking care of a Dutch garden, so we're going to have a big windmill in it and full of tulip bulbs and everything else. It's going to be awesome. Oh, I'm so excited for Gardenscape and the smells of spring to come. So you're listening, we're listening to Garden Talk. Thank you for joining us today. I, I'm Rick Van Davendijk, and you're listening also to Jill Van Davendijk. And you're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CCOM and 980 CJME.